Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Howdy doody, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I am your host, John Hudspeth. And man, we have a lot to talk about this week. So this last weekend, finally got to get out and do some uh, some fun outdoorsy type things. If you guys listened to the last episode, you know that the weekend before last was extremely busy. Just lots of family activities, lots of family in town. And so we were just going nonstop. This last weekend, uh, Friday was actually my birthday, so that was fun. And then my wife let me, you know, run out to the ranch and have some fun. She took care of the baby and everything. That was basically my my birthday gift was just some some time to do whatever I wanted, which I was in desperate need of. And so that was really fun. So drove up to the ranch. I think Saturday. Yep, Saturday. Got up there. And the first thing I did was I drove straight to my soybean plots that I'd planted two weeks before and got to check them out. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, I was in shock and awe at how beautiful they looked. Like I was, I was literally giggling like to myself because, um, a nice solid spring plot is like something I've dreamed about my whole life. Like when I, when I look at like the pros on TV and stuff, and then I look at myself, like I feel like the one big thing that separates me is that they're always having these like beautiful spring plots of like corn or soybeans or something, and they'll they'll leave part of it and then they'll replant part of it into a fall plot. And I've just never really had the time and the resources, and and a big part of it is I've never been able to keep the cows out of it. Um, but this year we've made some tweaks and some changes, and uh, so I planted some soybeans two weeks ago, and this was the first time I got to go see them. And they looked beautiful. So I had uh, three different plots. One's about three acres, one's about two acres, and one's about one acre. And um, I went to the the two acre one first. And I, like I said, I was literally like laughing, giggling to myself. Um, so again, I planted soybeans. I just used our no-till drill. I covered every other hole. So I had 15 inch uh, centers on my rows. Planted them. Uh, went and sprayed after I had planted them. And just everything was working exactly how you wanted it to. Uh, the night after I planted them, they got some rain. So yeah, all the stuff that had been alive was dying. I had beautiful little rows popping up between uh, the dead thatch. And um, I had some places where it was already like maybe three to four inches tall. And some other places where you know, it was a little bit behind that, but definitely coming up. And so I just went from one plot to the next to the to the next, and they just all looked beautiful. So that was like a dream come true for me. And so definitely not going to be you know on the Lakowski's level anytime soon. But uh, having a successful a successful spring plot is something that I've always dreamed of happening. And so really really hoping that the rain doesn't shut off. Hoping that the rain continues and those continue to grow. Because I would hate to like had all this hope and, and satisfaction just for them to you know die out this summer because of lack of rain. So keep my fingers crossed for that. Um, after all the flu food plots, I helped my dad out, cleaned up around the house a little bit, um, and then that afternoon we took uh, my brother's. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, my brother and his kids fishing at a local farm pond that they'd been fishing at quite a bit. And so that was kind of their birthday present to me was letting me go fish the pond. Now, we didn't go at the best time, if I'm being honest. You know, I was hoping kind of for more of an evening time, but the kids had been invited to go spend the night at a friend's house. And so we ended up going from like 2.30 to 5.30. So like basically right in the heat of the day. But we still caught quite a few fish. Um, I, the oldest of my nephews caught more than I did, so he loved that. 
Uh, I was joking with him that it's hard to, you know, catch fish when you're having to take pictures of his, his fish all the time. But I uh, caught a couple fish. My youngest nephew, I, I believe he's three, little Cooper, he caught his first fish ever. And it happened in the most, like, hilarious little kid way ever. So we had bought some worms for the younger kids. The older kids were actually using uh, worms and, you know, casting lures and stuff. But uh, So the two youngest kids, we set up, you know, bobber and worms for them, threw them out there. And, of course, like, two minutes goes by, and they're bored, and they're wanting to go play. And so we just laid the poles on the ground. They played the entire time. We were out there for, like, almost three hours getting ready to go, you know, packing up. And I actually had a little thought to myself. I was like, what if there's a fish on one of these? And so walked over to the first pole and, you know, reeled it in tight, kind of get a little tug and the bobber, the bobber, yeah, the bobber starts moving. And so I start yelling at Cooper, like Cooper, Cooper. And he comes running over. He's like, what is it? I was like, a fish. He's like, what? I was like, a fish. And so he got to reel it in and everything, a nice little uh, sunfish. So that was super fun. And then, uh, and yeah, we just had a, a really, really good time doing some quality fishing. So that's what I've been up to. Not much going on this coming weekend. We're hanging out with our small group from church, and so hopefully just going to relax and not do a whole lot. Really looking forward to that. So so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to lately. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode because we have a really good one. This is one that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. So today we're talking to Levi Mayfield, and I met Levi through my brother a couple years ago. Um, don't know each other super well, but have kind of been around each other and talked several times. And uh, I've been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while, and I just so happened to run into him this last weekend and kind of, you know, put a little feeler out, and he said he'd love to, and so this week we're having Levi on the show, and Levi might be the best public land hunter that I personally know, and anytime I reach out to you listeners about, you know, topics or questions or anything like that, I always get a lot of questions about public land, and I hunt some public land, but it's definitely not my primary focus. But Levi has grown up uh, really cutting his teeth on public land. He hunts private also, but hunts a lot of public. And you'll hear him talk, you know, in this episode about how much he hunts. And a lot of his stuff is kind of self-taught. He, you know, he has some mentors and he'll talk about buddies that he hunts with. But he just has been outdoors for so long and hunts so much every year. He's basically set his life up to where he can hunt a whole lot that he just has some really, really good knowledge and firsthand experience. And in talking to him, I I loved it because a lot of the questions I asked, I kind of, I just have these answers in my head that I feel like people are probably going to, to say or answer with. And that's not what I got from Levi. A lot of the stuff, uh, you know, a lot of his answers kind of go a little bit against the grain from what you hear from a lot of people. And so we cover a bunch of different topics. Uh, I kind of start big with, you know, big picture stuff, looking for, you know, specific areas. And then we go from there to, you know, picking a specific area, picking a specific tree, uh, sign, how he hunts in relation to sign and terrain. And so we just have a really, really good talk. We talk about saddle hunting quite a bit. Um, Levi's got into saddle hunting a couple years ago. We talked about how I need to get into saddle hunting. So yeah, overall, like I said, just a really, really good conversation. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. I really enjoyed it myself. And so that's what we have up today. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to get into our talk with Levi Mayfield right after this. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Arrowhead Land Company continues to grow, and they want to bring you along for the ride. They have agents all over the state ready to help you with all your land, buying, or selling needs. Big or small, for business or for personal use, it doesn't matter. If you want to buy or sell land in Oklahoma, Arrowhead Land Company is there to help make your dreams become a reality. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show. Today we're talking to Levi Mayfield. How you doing, Levi? I'm good, man. How about you? 
Oh, doing pretty good. It's a nice, beautiful morning outside. I'm I'm inside instead of outside, which is always nice when it comes to this time of year. So no complaints here. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's getting warm. Getting warm in Oklahoma for sure. It is. It is. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that I get a lot of questions about. We're going to be talking about public land, but uh, before we get there, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, just kind of who you are and, and what you love to do. Well, uh, I am Levi Mayfield. I am from uh, southeast Oklahoma, and I, I'm just a, I guess you just go with it. I'm just an avid outdoorsman. I love to hunt. I've been hunting since, I mean, just like anybody else in the South, you, you've been hunting since you was a kid, more than likely. So just kind of my whole life has really been based on that. I didn't play sports or nothing, so I just went into the woods all the time and hunted, and I just kind of based my even career around that a little bit. Doing uh, I do video production for a living, so I get to be on the road a little bit and video a bunch of hunts and stuff like that. And then in the off time when I'm not doing that in the fall, I get to be in a tree for myself or chasing turkeys in the spring or however I need to do that. So it's pretty pretty blessed life. Get to slowly see a dream come true with being in the outdoors more often than not. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm really excited about having you on today. I've been thinking about having you on for, honestly, about two years, and so I'm glad we finally got this worked out. Um, but, uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, I get a lot of questions about hunting public land and I, I hunt some public land myself. Um, but I know I, I don't hunt it near as much as you do. And I think you kind of cut your teeth on it. And so really excited to have you on. And I guess kind of what I'm thinking here, uh, I got some questions here lined up and I've tried to kind of organize them to where we start kind of at the, the 10,000 foot view and then work our way down to, you know, eventually I want to talk about kind of like the specific tree, you know, how you pick your exact spot. So, um, so just kind of getting 10,000 foot view. Do you hunt like mostly just what's available around your house? Do you travel a little bit to, you know, if you maybe get wind of a good buck, you know, two hours away, are you willing to go that far? Or you just kind of keep it local? Man, really? I mean, mostly the only traveling I do for myself for hunting is would be just more turkey. Like, mm-hmm. I travel a lot in the spring for turkey hunting. But for for deer, not really. I mean, I just kind of stay local to where I'm at, you know, within hour or two. We got good spots all around where I'm at. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, just kind of just stay on, you know, as local as I can just from working and if I work at my house then I can, you know, break off in the afternoon and go hunting somewhere. I've gotten the older I get actually I've just I've kinda gotten where I hunt more in the afternoon than I do in the mornings anymore until until the rut kicks in. But so really just try to stay as local as I can, which I'm like you said, I've been I've been hunting since I was a kid and I'm thirty two, so a lot of the spots where I hunt I've you know, I know I'm kinda like the back of my hand. I mean, obviously like I use maps and stuff onyx is a game changer for that kind of stuff but once i you know been around what i'm on now i've just been in it so much i just kind of just know what i'm hunting local so it's nice and we've got you know pretty pretty decent bucks right here where we're at which i've never been one of those guys that just chases a giant whitetail on purpose if i find one and think i can get on him then yeah i'll chase him and try to kill him but I'm a pretty opportunist type of person too. Just being on public land, it's hard to chase one one buck, especially when our rifle season how it hits, it hits perfect for people to kill giants. So mm-hmm. we just kind of chase what I can when I can, and really haven't even I really haven't even started using trail cameras as much until the last couple of years for for public land stuff. I mean, obviously I use it for private, but every now and then I'll put some stuff on public. But really, it's just more of an opportunist. Just what I can find and the areas that I hunt, just knowing that there's normally good bucks in those areas. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I like it. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to get into eventually here. So I'm going to take one more step in a little bit. So, um, you know, there, like you said, there's quite a bit of public around you, I think. Uh, whether it's, you know, a 40 acre chunk or a 4,000 acre chunk, 
what's kind of your starting point? Like, are you looking for a specific feature on a map? Like you mentioned Onyx, are you looking at Onyx first? Or are you just putting boots on the ground and seeing what's there? Just what's kind of your starting point? Yeah. So, I mean, if you would, I mean, I have traveled a little bit hunting a lot, tail, so I'll just kind of throw on it like that. If I say, if I'm going into a new spot, I'm going to, for sure, I'm going to pull up my maps first and I'm going to see what kind of the lay of the land. I know a lot of the, a lot of the apps now will even help you. Like I haven't really dug into them that deep, but a lot of the apps now will even tell you like tree structures and what the woods are like in that area. I'm not, I've never dug that deep, but I'll get on and just find terrain. So find like I hunt a lot of pinch points is what I try to hunt, what I would consider pinch points. You're finding that X and sometimes that's a shot in the dark. Like there's some places that you will, you know, you're looking at a map and you're like, all right, yeah, this is the spot. Like this is a, this is a pinch point. I can see how the terrain is turning me to go to right here. And then you get in there and you're just like, Oh no, this is nowhere near what the map said. So you just kind of back out and start from one again. But a lot of it is like it, you can see a lot of it on your on your terrain. It's the grid line stuff is what I pay attention to. You just kind of watch how the grid lines run into each other, or if there's like a the only way I know to kind of explain it, like in your grid lines will have like a U to their grid lines. Lots of times that's a a creek drainage or a you know a hillside that dips down into another to make a saddle which that's a whole nother topic too trying to hunt saddles is hard but it's just you know it's more of you find it on on your maps for me i find it on my maps kind of see what i think will be good and then i get my feet on the ground i try not to go in too much if i don't have to go in and i can go in once and hunt it that first time i'll do that but if i can't i gotta scout it I try not to go in too much, and if I do, it'll be, you know, early, like July, August, jacking around, going in, trying to find something, and then mark it, mark some stuff, or mark a specific tree that I want to get in, because I hunt a lot of, like, what I would call transition, where it's, you've got, say, you've got hardwoods, or pines going into hardwoods, or the opposite, where it's a real thick area coming into hardwoods like difference in early season or the rut or even late season like there's a to me there's a big difference how i hunt from october 1 to january 15th is what oklahoma is so october 1 i might be hunting something totally different than i would november 1 just because of obviously the rut but because of terrain change or the food system change and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Man, that's good stuff. I want to dig a little bit more. You you started talking about kind of the topo map type stuff and a term that's thrown around a lot. I think it kind of came from the the hunting beast stuff is that military crest, that upper one third. Are you, you know, if you're looking at those, those grid lines, you can kind of tell it's a hill or a drainage. Are you trying to stay more towards the top or are you getting more down towards the point in that pinch point area? Man, see, that's the hard part. So if you, there's some spots where I hunt around me that are like, it's, it's pretty diverse. Like we've got some stuff that's really hilly and then we've got some stuff that's just flat and it's swampy. If I have to pick, I'm going to swamp. I'm, I'm shooting swamp deer just cause I can just pattern them better. But the thing, the problem is what you run into with, with those hillsides and those upper thirds is there's always big bucks in there is what my theory is there's always really good bucks in those hilly areas with those saddles and stuff but with that comes a price it is a swirly wind like nobody's business you cannot in my opinion the stuff i hunt you cannot play your wind 100 percent because it's gonna swirl and that's why them big bucks are in there if you can find a spot to me, it's more of if you can find a spot where that point comes out, like, and there's two saddles, the point is the best. And it seems from the past, like I've got a spot that I, I'll hunt maybe four times a year, and it has to be like, you know, I, I play it where it has to be a northwest wind, and it has to be under 30 degrees. And we don't get that just a whole heck of a lot right here where I'm at. 
So, but the thing is, it's just like it would be just like what you would what you would consider for elk hunting. So that early morning, and I might only get to hunt it till nine nine thirty, and then I got to get out because that cold thermal is pushing up in the morning early at daylight. So you're getting that early activity still. Hopefully, you're getting the bucks on their feet early activity, and your thermal is going up, so your scent's going up. But once it starts warming up during the morning that thermal changes so your scent's going to start falling so then it just starts getting swirly instead of being in a flat area where you know you get a pretty consistent wind going one direction once you get on them hillsides man it's just especially on them points and points are really hard because that wind's going to swirl around one way or the other on that hillside but if you can do it right there's normally always good bucks in there Mm -hmm. man that's some good stuff that's some good stuff i like it all right, I want to take one more step in. So you've done your scouting, you map scouted, you've gone in there a little bit. I want to talk about picking like the tree. You mentioned earlier the X. Like, I, how do you when you find an area you think deer are in there? How do you go about picking your specific tree? Are you trying to get closer to a trail? Are you going more off the terrain feature? Um, what goes into picking your specific tree that you're going to climb up into and sit? Oh man, that is a. Uh... That is a totally different question there. It depends a lot on and the different chain, the different terrain and stuff like that. Uh, so I've been saddle hunting for probably three or four years now, something like that. So that makes it a little bit easier to find the tree that I want to get in. But it also, you know, it does, it does make it almost sometimes it makes it even harder because you get in there and you're like oh i can go a little bit more or i can do this or i can do that because you can pick a certain you can pick a better tree but really it, it's kind of more of once i get in there and i kind of you know I've, I've done my e-scouting where i've i've found the terrain or if it's something i already know i've gotten in there and i picked the spot say it's a, like what i would hunt i hunt a pinch point and what i'm calling a pinch point might be like i said say it's like say it's early October I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna probably more than likely on early October unless I'm hunting a certain buck I'm gonna be hunting a food source so and that's gonna normally be in the area I'm at you're gonna be hunting you're gonna be hunting acorns so I'm gonna for sure hopefully already know all right they're using this flat or they're using this little small spot for sure more often than not so I'm going to, number one, definitely use my wind. And that's kind of another thing, too, for picking that tree is when you, like, I know people, I'm, and I'm talking specifically bow hunting because I don't even rifle hunt. So specifically bow hunting, like, if I find that area, i got to make sure my access to my tree is not getting boogered up with my wind. So... I mean, sometimes if you got to walk a mile all the way around to get to where I want to be, just to get in my spot, I will. So the access is number one, make sure that the wind is in my face going into my spot so I'm not boogering nothing up. And then once you get in there, I want to make sure that, number one, the wind is coming from the thicket. So if I'm hunting a thicket early season like that, I'm going to be hunting the food source so I'm going to stay off of that food source, you know, I, I push it sometimes. I might be 30 yards from the food source or I might be 50, 60 yards from the food source. But, I mean, from the thicket, not the food source. I'm in the food source. So I'm going to try to stay where I'm – sometimes it depends on what I'm hunting, but sometimes if it's a thicket coming into a food source, I'm going to try to find that tree that is in between the number one food source they're wanting and that thicket. So it might put me 20, 30 yards from it, which is, it can be iffy because if they get to the edge of it, because lots of times the same thing is like on a hillside, sometimes where that terrain changes, the wind will swirl at that terrain change. So you want to stay off of that a little bit, in my opinion. No, you don't want to be right on top of it, but I have done that and gotten success that way too. But you want to stay off of that. So going into that, you want to make sure that your wind 100% is coming out of the thicket into your food source and knowing that you've got to also know that that might not be the only area that the deer come from but that's the pretty core area you might blow a deer to 
that might try to slip in from the way you came in. But I mean, you can't hunt every area. That's mm-hmm. one thing you've got to you got to mark out what you do, what you're not going to hunt pretty much. So I try to make that my path in 100%. And then once I get in that, I mean, you get in that range where, you know, I think the deer are going to be using this right here, this coming out of this thicket or this little point that they're going to come through that. I'm going to get, you know, 20, 30 yards from, from this area and hopefully catch them either at the food source they're at or right before they get to it where I can, you know, put myself on it. And you also have to, you have to play it too. So, are you say like early season are you targeting a certain deer because if you are you can't get between the food source and the thicket you're going to have to get on the other side because if you're targeting a certain buck he's obviously not going to be the first deer that comes out so you don't want to get in there and the does and young bucks get past you and then they wind you and then you're then your your evening's over mm-hmm. so you've got to get to where they can meander around at the food source or around you and not wind you so when that buck does come out and that you know sometimes it'll create opportunity for a shot sometimes it won't Mm -hmm. so it's more of that i don't really pick specific type of trees like i said with a saddle man it's just it changed changed my game a lot with just the saddle being able to Mm -hmm. go wherever i wanted i mean i used to hunt with you know public land you hunt mobile with a climbing stand but man there's so much heavier and so much you can't get certain trees with a saddle i can i mean i can literally go anywhere i want because i'm not a big guy anyway so i can literally get in a tree the size of my leg if i want to and i have so i mean it makes it so much better if yeah. that, i don't know if that answers your question or not but yeah no that's great and i thought of a, a couple things while you were talking there one i definitely catch myself i've been hunting a little bit more public the last two years and uh i definitely catch myself overthinking kind of that last part you were talking about of like you know what if the deer comes from here what if the deer comes from here like i know the majority are going to come from this direction but they could come from this direction and and kind of like you said at some point you have to give something up you know you can't you can't make yourself completely windproof you know or anything and so you kind of just got to pick your battle of you know which direction am i willing to give up because i think it's maybe the least likely that a deer might come from and so i definitely catch myself definitely catch myself overthinking that and then two man i i definitely need to get a saddle um i i was kind of reluctant at first and then uh we we sold one property that the saddle would have been awesome for our current property it's just there's not that many trees on it to begin with um, but I've been, like I said, I've been hunting a little bit more public, uh, this year I'm going to be doing a, a decent amount of traveling out of state and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely need to get a saddle. Yeah. I I, 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 I'll talk to my buddy at Trophy Line, see if I can get you hooked up, man. man You'll love it. That'd be their, great. Their saddles are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking at them and, uh, yeah. So, uh, I, my, my sister moved to Iowa last year. I'm sorry, not Iowa. She moved to Nebraska and uh, I went up there and hunted. I just I was just able to hunt two days last year, but I went up there and turkey hunted and did some more scouting. So I'm going to go hunt September 1st opener in Nebraska, and then I put in for Iowa. I had five points, and so I should find out next month if I drew Iowa or not, and then obviously Oklahoma and uh, Texas. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've just been using an old uh, lone wolf hang-on, and, and I love it, you know, and it's way more lightweight than your average tree stand that you just buy from the farm store or whatever. Um but it's it's still pretty bulky, and like you said, you just you can't get in necessarily any tree you want. Like I think I could with a saddle. So, yeah, you know, I used to hunt like that though. I would I had a a guy that kind of a mentor that really I paid attention to him, and he would talk to me about stuff. Like I used a a, a climbing stand forever, and then I was like, man, I need to get more mobile. Like I'm just not working. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, you need to buy like just little. He had a little lone wolf, and I ended up buying actually one of those little small small platform bone collector stands Mm -hmm. and then just buy some the lightest tree sticks that you could get and i would just put it on a pack and strap it all together and go in and man i would i mean for years i'd probably say five six years i would that would just stay in my truck which Mm -hmm. when it comes hunting season my hunting stuff stays right there so but that would just stay in my truck and i would i would pack it in and do just like you would with a saddle, but it was with a tree stand. And mm-hmm. I would go in and hang that tree stand and hunt it that evening. And if I knew I wasn't hunting it the next morning, I'd just tear it all right back down and go out and do the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's it's 
it's handy. Yeah. I mean, you you can get away with it if you don't have a saddle. If you don't want to spend the money on saddle, people can still get away with it if they have a light tree stand. But yeah. it's just the it's the safety side of stuff too. You just got to make sure that you're, in my opinion, make sure you're harnessed in before you start trying to hang a tree stand up. You know, in the evening, mm-hmm. it's and it's more noisy. That's the problem too. So you have to make it where you go in a little bit earlier. In my opinion, you're sweating a little bit more if it's early season. So. It's just it's a pain, but the saddle the saddle stuff has changed the game, to, in my opinion, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd definitely definitely be interested because, uh, like I said, doing a little bit more traveling and everything, um, I just I see a lot more benefit. I think I think at the beginning it was just stubbornness. I was like, oh, these saddle people are crazy, but I think they've uh, they've come around, and I definitely see the the benefit now. So. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't do it at first because I was like, ah, I'm not a trend guy. And it was kind of becoming a trend. I'm like, I'm not doing this. It's mm-hmm. a trend. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Then I bought one just to try it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Screw that. I need to be doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You, awesome. Need a, you need a tag along on that Nebraska hunt. And I'll, uh, I, I, you got my number. I'll always go on a tag along with you uh-huh. if, you have, if you have to have some. Gotcha. That gotcha. Gas fill with uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Uh all right, I want to take one more step. So uh, we've kind of talked about picking your spot and terrain and all that, uh, but I want to talk about sign. Um, I think a lot of people, when it comes to public land, maybe don't put as much stock into sign because they're like, you know, maybe somebody else has been in here or this or that. But how does just deer sign uh, play into your setup? Like, will you set up over a specific scrape or a rub line or something like that? Man, not really. As goofy as that, I mean, I know that some people have their way, some people don't. I don't, I never hunt scrapes, and if I do, I don't hunt over the top of them because you're, in my opinion, you're not going to kill a, a good buck at a scrape. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's just, man, that's a lot there. I don't really, I really don't go with a lot of sign. I mean, I want to see, I want to know that there's deer in the area, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to pay attention to trails or maybe you know if there's some rubs in there and stuff like that i know there's bucks moving the area but man i really don't run i really don't hunt the scrape lines or rub lines more i mean i just i really have i've just focused almost all of mine on transition zone and pinch points like (laughs) if i know there's deer in the area i know i mean i'm not going to go somewhere if i don't think there's deer anyway Mm -hmm. so if i know there's deer in the area i'm just gonna I'm going to play that transition. I really don't. I mean, I, if I'm in that spot and there's a good trail, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to that trail. But that also kind of comes back to a mature buck thing. Like, so same thing with, it can, it can go both ways with this. Like, so a rub line, obviously a buck's using it. And a lot of people think, oh, he rubbed it and he's never coming back. No, it's, sometimes there is a specific tree that a buck's going to rub, especially a mature buck. He's putting them sink glands from his head on that tree and he's he's gonna hit it more than once for sure it might be a week or two weeks once he rolls back through but he's gonna hit it again and even more than one buck will hit a lot of those trees like people see them real big rubs in the woods on like you know the trees the size of your thigh and they're like oh man that's a that's a giant buck i've come to the realization it might not be a giant buck it's probably five or six different bucks hitting it and they're rubbing it off like crazy mm. So that's kind of hard to, kind of hard to hate. And you can hunt that. Like if you can, if you can find that, just same, same thing like a scrape. If you can find that community rub, man, come, you know, end of October, 1st of November, you're, you're in the chips, man. There's going to be some bucks in that area running that, but it's the same thing. You got to play that wind. Don't get right on top of that rub. Stay, you know, 30 yards from it. it you know, however far you are with, your shot with your shot range with a bow you know try to stay off of it so you're not putting your scent on top of it because them bucks aren't just going to go straight to that tree you got to find which way they're coming into it how are they traveling it same thing with like trails so if you know hey there's a bunch of does use this trail right here coming in and out of this coming in and out of this wood lot lots of times your mature buck's not going to use that same trail he might and i've seen it they do but especially when it starts coming to that transition of they're looking for does, they're not going to use the same trail as the does. They're not going to put trail and scrapes in the same thing here. They're not going to use the same trail or they're not going to always go to that scrape. They're going to always run it downwind of the trail and the scrape. 
So if your scrape is, you know, 10 yards from your tree and you're hunting that scrape, you, you blew your chances at killing the buck because more than likely he's running it 60 to 80 yards downwind and he's just playing the wind and checking all them scrapes from, from downwind. And then all of a sudden he catches whiff of, oh, you know, I smell estrus over there. I'm going to go to that scrape and check it, and then he's going to go hit it. Now, your small bucks will hit them like crazy. But if you're targeting to kill a mature buck, I'm not even saying a giant buck. I'm just saying a mature buck. You're you're not going to, in my opinion, I know guys that kill them over scrapes, but I just don't do it. I don't kill them over scrapes. I kill them off the scrapes. I kill them on their, their transition spot trying to just wind everything. Gotcha. Man, I like that take. That's uh, that's not something you hear from everybody. Um, you know, so many of the the big wigs and stuff in the hunting industry that you always hear. You know, find a scrape and set up on it or what, whatever. But uh, I, yeah, I love just the experience that you're bringing, and because uh, I've found the same thing, and I've you know I found the same thing hunting feeders and stuff on private land. You know, when I was younger, I I just I thought the only way to hunt was over a feeder. You know, I didn't know there was any other way. Yeah. I didn't really grow up in a hunting family. And so I'd always be right on that feeder, and I remember one specific morning, uh, I I was in one of my best spots, uh, and I, I actually took the feeder away after this morning, but I was sitting there at a feeder, and I watched seven different bucks skirt around the outside. Not a single one came to the feeder. I just so happened to be able to see them, and, uh, and they did just what you said. You know, they skirted around downwind, and I'm sure they smelt me and just kept on going. And so the following year, the following year, I took that feeder away. I moved my tree stand about, I don't know, 20 yards or so to where it was more along the creek. And I could come from the opposite side of the creek, cross the creek and climb in. And that turned into one of my best spots on that property. Um, So, yeah, just it's just a lesson you got to learn. And I preach all the time like, yeah, feeders are good, but you can't marry them. You know, there there are other ways. And and you got to be you got to be willing to get off those things, even though that's where you're getting all your pictures and stuff. But, um, yeah, you got to be able to back off of them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be able to. I mean, the biggest the biggest way to learn is to screw up, Mm -hmm. honestly. Like, that's just that's just the best way, like. And then have that person like how I did. I had, you know, a couple older guys that were good hunters, and I'd be like, man, what did I do wrong? Why why did this happen? They're like, well, what would you do here or this and that? And then you said something, too. You said don't be married to that feeder. At the same point, man, we live in a technology age. Don't be married to your game cameras. Mm. I have – I've got bucks that won't even go in front of game cameras sometimes. Like just like be sitting in a spot where you can see pretty good ways – and you'll just see a buck, and you're just like, where'd that, like, I've never seen that deer. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they're not always going in front of them game cameras, and they're not, like, same thing with the feeder. Maybe they're not going to the feeder, but they're going to be skirting it on the wind, so you never got that picture of that deer anyway. Mm-hmm. So don't, like, don't be married to your game camera thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to go hunt because my buck's not in the area. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, especially first of November, of, of course, he's not going to be running around that as much. He's He's chasing does. He's got He's got love on his mind, so he's mm-hmm. going to be in those. He's going to be in those transition zones that you're not running a camera, maybe. And it just, I mean, time, time, and sitting in the tree is what kills is what kills deer. And I mean, I'm just fortunate that I get to hunt way more than anybody else. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. I think I missed uh, not counting from being filmed, and I filmed in Kansas for eight days. The first. Uh, eight days of november so i missed i missed the first eight days of november in a tree stand for myself but from being october to november i mean well when i got back from kansas i killed i killed my buck my second buck so i was tagged out but i mean i maybe missed three days in the tree and that would be either which i mean my working for myself and doing what i do provides for that but it may be Hey, I'm going to go hunt in the morning because it's going to be a really good morning, and then I'm going to work this afternoon and we'll get some work done. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to work in the morning and then take off about two and get out there and, and hunt this evening. Which, like I said, I've I've transitioned. I, I hunt more in the evenings now, and it's just I just have better luck in the evenings anymore. I mean, in the rut, I'll hunt in the mornings for dang sure. But most of the good bucks I've killed the last four or five years have all been in the evenings. Mm-hmm. So I've just kind of stuck to the evenings more lately. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Awesome. Awesome. I got two more questions here. The first one I think will be pretty quick. Um, and uh, then the second one we might spend a little bit more time on. But um, when you're out there and you're hunting public land, do you do any calling or do you pretty much just kind of stay quiet and be patient? Oh no! It just—I mean—that depends on the year for sure. When it's the rut, yeah, I'll—I'll I'll cold rattle, you know, just mm-hmm. rattle some during the morning. I get bored. I have ADHD, so <laughs> sitting in a tree stand, I get bored. And I try not to look at my phone, so got to do something. I don't really—I'll grunt a little bit, not much, but I'll rattle for sure, you know, every now and then. And then, for sure, if I see a a buck and he don't look like he's coming my way, oh, I'm going to grunt at him. Mm. We'll grunt and maybe snort with him just to try to try to close that distance on him to yeah. see if he can just get him a little bit closer to where I can try to get a shot or something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not really – I'm not one of those guys that people say, oh, you know, the deer – you're on public land, deer call shy, or same thing with turkey. turkey people will be like, oh, they can't kill that turkey if they're call shy. I'm like, huh, I disagree with you. Like, <laughs> you're just not doing it the right way for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, and then my last question here is, uh, just kind of a, a comparison. Like, is there anything that you do different when you're hunting public versus private? Like, are you, are you more aggressive or less aggressive? Like, are you, are you more likely to, to push the wind a little bit or you're more likely to play it safe? Just it, like, do you hunt differently on public than you do on private? Yeah, I would say so. Because most of my, I've only got like two or three private land spots, so most of them are they're kind of hit and miss. And I try to keep them for my my wife, and my kid for sure. But really, the I mean, I'm I'm kind of aggressive. I'm an aggressive hunter. I've gotten more aggressive on stuff, but public it's just man. I mean, I'm in the woods so much on public, uh, and I know like over the years I've noticed like okay, these deer they're not they're not adapted to people. But they're to me, they're more adapted to people on public than they are on private. Hmm. So, like, especially especially on private, for like me, if I've got say I've got a decent buck that I'm hunting, I'm not going to push my limits too much and push him away from my property because mm-hmm. once he's gone, he might not come back. And then I dang sure don't want my neighbor killing him. You know, if I'm hunting him, I want to kill him. So I try not to push the limits on that too much. Public is a little bit different. If I push him and bump him, I'll just go find him again because mm-hmm. I mean he's he's going to be somewhere he's either going to go nocturnal on me or he's just going to move to another another pinch point so i'm going to go hunt the other pinch point you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i did here's your prime example last year i had a buddy he had some land that was right up against the public land fence and he sent me a picture he was feeding you know behind his house right next to the public and he sent me a picture and there's a bunch of does and two really good bucks in there one of them was you know just a 125 just real tall rack eight point and the other one was a big like a 149 point and we was texting back and forth and he had killed a buck already and he was like hey man why don't you go hunt them deer like he's like i don't even hunt behind my house like it's just he said i get pictures of them behind my house i really don't care to you know hunt them I'm like, all right I said, you sure yeah he said park at my house if you want so that went into i started e-scouting trying to find that because i wasn't going to kill him you know that you couldn't kill him coming to his house because they were in they were coming to his place in the dark so obviously they're roaming something in the daylight below him so i just started looking and i found two different transitions that i was gonna try to hunt so i went in with my saddle and pushed my limit too much like you said and I got in there on one of those. It was, and it's honestly, it was kind of a perfect scenario here. I got in there on the first evening. It was a, a Saturday evening, and I got in there and I bumped that tight rack eight point right where I was going to climb a tree. I was, I mean, I was looking at the tree I wanted to get in. And I took two more steps, and he was like twenty yards on the other side of that tree, bedded up. And he jumps up, and I seen. I mean, it was some people were like, "Oh, you don't know if it's the same deer." It was a hundred percent the same deer. He was a tall tight rack eight. And he just, boom, just busted out. And I was just like, gosh, dang it. I said, like, well, I'm already here. I don't have time to go somewhere else. So I just went ahead and climbed up and hunted and had one doe come through that evening, which, I mean, knowing, like, all right, I'm not going to kill that deer, obviously. Maybe the other buck is around, but I don't know. So I hunted, and then I pulled all my stuff. And I got home, and I was watching my wind, and I was trying to figure out if I could hunt this other pinch point where, in my mind, 
it was where this nine point was going to be. Like in just in my mind, I was like, this this buck is going to be right here. If he's moving anywhere, he's he's going right here. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I want to go in there or not. I had another buck that I'd been hunting since October first, and I had the perfect wind for that too. And I was just like, man, I don't know which one I want to hunt. One of them was close walk, and one of them was a mile. <laughs> and me and my wife are sitting there talking, and she's like, why don't you just go hunt that new buck that your buddy sent you and just try it? I mean, what do you got to lose? She's like, I was like, well, you're right. I only got one day I can hunt him because the wind's fixing to change, and I can't hunt him no more, and then I can swap back to my other buck and start hunting him. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I called a buddy, and I was like, hey, you want to go hunting in the morning? We're going to access this. We end up having to walk almost a mile. I was like, we're going to access this from the other direction, but I need somebody else in there. One of us can kill this deer. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I told, I text my buddy and said, hey, I'm not going to park at your house because I got a friend coming with me. We're going to go, you know, on the other side and access it, which, I mean, side note, if somebody gives you, you know, hey, go hunt that deer, make sure that they're cool with somebody else being around you. Cause, and he was. He's just one of those guys. He, he was like, yeah, y'all get it, kill him. So we go in walking like a mile and i sent him it was two little spots and i sent him to one spot and i was like hey here's your i sent him a waypoint so here's your waypoint go to right here i said i've been right there before there's two or three really good trees go to right here and make sure you walk this straight line at it i said and i told him i said if he comes through he's gonna come through right here i'm gonna go down to this other pinch point and man it wasn't 20 minutes after daylight and the tree i was in was just a messed up tree and I look up, and there's this giant nine point at 30 yards right after daylight. And I'm like, like in awe, because I'm like, oh, my God, it worked. But I was like, I'm not going to kill this deer. Because the way he was at, I just couldn't. I mean, I couldn't even get my bow off my hanger or nothing. I tried, and then mm. he ended up – I think my wind swirled just a little bit. and He caught it, and he ran out there about 80 and kind of stopped, and then he blew and just kind of trotted it off. But – to me, I mean, right there, right then, I just texted my buddy. I said, it's a success. I know I didn't kill him, mm-hmm. but, I mean, two days in a row, I had both bucks in bow range right where I thought they would be, and then my wind changed. I never got to hunt him again. <laughs> so, but it was just one of those things, I just pushed my luck, like you're saying, like it's public land. I pushed my luck, and I was going to try it and see if I could, you know, get on him, and it worked. Not very often does it, but it did. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And there's all, I mean, there's all, hunting public, there's so many stories like that where I've just, sometimes I'm aggressive, sometimes I'm not. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's just sometimes the buck I end up killing, I end up killing my other buck that I've been hunting since October 1st, I end up killing him, uh, I think it was a week and a half later, right when I got back from Kansas, and it was the same thing. Like, I had the perfect wind, I knew where he was bedded, because he bedded the same thicket every evening, and I was just like, I can kill him. So I just went in and it worked and I killed him that evening, but it was just pushing that luck and just patience. A lot of it is, it's just, I mean, public or private, you got to be patient. If you're, if you don't have the right wind, don't hunt it. You're going to screw it up. So don't, don't hunt it, Mm -hmm. especially on public. You've already got enough people screwing it up for you. So don't, if you can play it where you're not going to screw it up, do it right. I mean, yeah, you might have the chance that somebody else might kill your deer, but, it's just the way it works, man. I mean, you're hunting public land, but if you can, if you can be patient, just wait for the right wind, do it. Like just, I mean, there's sometimes that I'll have a, a spot that I want to hunt that I know there's good bucks and I might be sitting on that spot for two weeks before I can go in and hunt it. Mm-hmm. And then lots of times, I mean, and, and in my opinion, lots of times the first, the first day you hunt it is your, is your best chance. Mm-hmm. That's your best chance of killing. So if you've got the wrong wind, why would you go in there and screw it up the first day? Mm-hmm. and not kill him i want to wait and get my perfect win and get in there and try to kill him the first day i'm in there yeah yeah awesome man that uh that was a fantastic little chat we had um you know, I, I love getting people on here to talk about different things from different perspectives and and uh man I, you did you knocked it out of the park so uh re- real quick levi before i let you go um if people want to find you and find your stuff uh where should they go uh, I have Facebook and Instagram, but I really don't get on Facebook much. Mm-hmm. You can uh, find me on Instagram. I think it's at Mayfield Levi is what it is. My handle is, and that's just—I mean—that's most. I have a 
my media page on Instagram, but I really don't. You can look it up. It's at Day Three Media, is what I do for a living for media production. But most of the stuff I do is it's all on my Instagram page for at Mayfield Levi. Or if I mean, I'd like to grow my YouTube, but I mean, don't have very much. The Day Three Media on YouTube. It's just day the number three media. But yeah, I mean that's that's really about it. Just right there on Instagram if I post more on that and keep up with stuff on that. I'll probably do something again this year. Last year I did a like when I was hunting a t- couple different bucks, I was doing Instagram stories of how I was accessing what I was doing, my screw ups, my my wins, you know, what I did right, what I did wrong. And it, it was a few people that seemed like they like it, so I might do it again this year for public land stuff or even private land, but whatever that kind of entails of maybe doing a, another Instagram story that way, trying to keep up with the season like that maybe. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Levi, for coming on joining us. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll probably have to ha- have you again some other time. Well, man, I appreciate it. It was good. I appreciate you asking me. Yes, sir. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, we'll see you. And that will do it for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Big shout out to Levi for coming on. I told you guys it was going to be really good. I learned a lot from that conversation, so I know you guys probably did too. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was how he doesn't necessarily pay attention to like the rubs and scrapes and stuff like that. He more just kind of goes with his gut, reads the terrain, And he just knows deer and how they use the terrain. And he hunts more off of that. And so, like you said, you know, the sign's still important. It can tell you that there's deer there. But you really just got to kind of trust your gut. So, so yeah, like I said, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Levi, again. Thank you once again, as always, to all you listeners who are listening to this and supporting this podcast. I love to hear from you guys. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on social media or email. I haven't given my email in a while. It's just okay outdoorspodcast at gmail.com Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast on Instagram as well as Facebook. I say it all the time. I'm not near as active on Facebook as I am on Instagram. That's definitely the quickest and easiest way to get a hold of me. So so yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Everybody stay cool, stay dry, and until next week, I will see you right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.